as it was mentioned, I am the executive director of the Furniture Mission, and I'm not going to tell you a lot about the Furniture Mission. I'm just going to tell you a couple things, and I have a reason. We'll get into that in a minute, but Furniture Mission was founded 13 years ago with the expressed idea of giving furniture or specifically beds to people who are in our community in need. Then as now, if you're hungry I know, and you need a meal, I know where to send you. There's places for you to go. If you are homeless and need a place to sleep, there are places where I can send you. If you need clothing, there are places I can send you. There are programs for just about everything. There are programs for, to help you pay your utility bills. There are programs to help you pay your rent. But there was nothing, and still is, to get you furniture. And so we take donations of gently used furniture. I say the word gently used. Uh, no stains, no rips, no tears. You can call down to the Furniture Mission, and we will come and schedule a time that we'll actually even come and pick it up. So if you buy a new couch and you don't know what to do with the old one, we're a place where you can go with it. We also deal with a lot of people who are downsizing, who may be going from a home to a condo or just a different home, and they need different furniture or they're buying different furniture. We deal with some estates where the family comes in and picks up the, the sentimental pieces that they want to keep, and we take all the rest. We then partner with about 25 different agencies and ministries who refer people to us, and then we, in turn, get furniture to them. Last year, the Furniture Mission gave away over 19,000 pieces of furniture. We had just under 5,000 people that came through. Of those, 2,000 were children. We gave out 2,100 beds people. We deal with people who are just leaving prison. We deal with women who've left abusive relationships, who've literally walked out with nothing. We deal with disabled veterans. We deal with new immigrants into town. We deal with people who are just like you and me, except they've maybe made some bad choices in their life and are struggling. See, we believe that by providing them furniture, First of all, we're showing Christ's love, but we look at it this way. The, the man who's just gotten out of prison and has scraped up enough to get an apartment, but he has no furniture. He probably has a part-time job. It probably is not the highest pay. We know that when he's done working after eight hours, he's not going to sit on the floor in an apartment staring at empty walls. He will probably go out and wander around in our community which is probably the least way to make sure that he doesn't return to prison. We think that children who sleep in beds are much more likely to succeed in school. Uh, we think that we change lives. We deal with a lot of different individuals. When you come in, you can get a bed, or beds if it's a family. You get all the bedding, so sheets and pillows and blankets and towels. You get a nightstand and a lamp, you get a dresser, you get a kitchen table and chairs, you get a set of dishes and some cookware. We also have an, uh, you also get a couch or a love seat and a easy chair. Then we often have excess things, like say when we deal with an estate or some people, we might have bookcases or desks or TV stands, all of those kind of things. And we also have an area where we let you go in and pick things because we've got mirrors and pictures and 
excess blankets and more cookware and coffee pots and vacuum cleaners and all of those kind of things that you get to pick several items from that area. It is amazing the number of things that come in and out. We also have a huge, huge group of volunteers. Last year we had just over 130 people volunteer. They logged just over 16,000 hours of time for us. We're almost entirely a volunteer organization. We have people that volunteer to answer phones, people that volunteer in the warehouse, we have people that volunteer driving trucks, picking up and deliveries, we have volunteers, we have a full wood shop where we actually build some furniture, we repair furniture, we do, um, as an example, uh, Perkins Restaurants have been very generous to us over the years. Whenever they redecorate a restaurant, they put in new tables. Well, they don't put in new tables, they put in new tabletops. They keep the stands, but they give us the tops and we take and turn those, we build legs and turn them back into tables. Uh, we have some guys who take uh, wooden headboards and turn them into coffee tables. So a, a great organization. Now, so why do I tell you all that? Well, here's where the little asterisk should be in the sermon. It says, the following sermon brought to you by the Furniture Mission. I'm going to let you in a little secret. Most people in the congregation think that the sermon is all about what the pastor wants you to know. What the sermons usually are all about is what the pastor is dealing with in his own life. It's something he has seen and read that touched him, and he wants you to know. That old, st old story or their old statement, I'm just a beggar trying to show other beggars where I found food, is really true of a pastor. He really has found something in God's word that has touched his heart, and he said, I want other people to see this. That's what this sermon is going to be about. You see, when I took over at the Furniture Mission, this is a total organization that deals with people giving us things and then us giving others things. And I began to question my own ideas and thoughts on what is it about giving. You see, again, if you knew me, you'd know a little bit more. Several months earlier, my wife and I were driving around town here in Sioux Falls, and you have probably seen it also. We came up to a corner, and there was an individual standing on the corner with a cardboard sign. You've all seen those, haven't you? And the sign, I don't even know what it said, you know, homeless veteran or will work for food, whatever it might have said. And my wife said, every time I go past someone like that and I don't give them something, I feel guilty. And she said, what do you feel? And I said, nothing. See, I'm not a real compassionate person. And now I've put myself into a job, into a position where this is what I do. And so I wanted to go into God's Word, and I wanted to look, and I wanted to see if I could figure out a little bit better what God says about giving. 
Specifically, I started, I asked a question. I said, here's the question I want to find. What does God require from me? What does God say about my giving? I don't, I'm not talking about yours. <laughs> I'm talking about me. What does God want me to do? What does he require? If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 15. We're going to read just a couple verses. We're going to read 7 and 8. But if there are any poor people in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord is, your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year of the release is close at hand. If you refuse to make a loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give freely without begrudging it, and the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some among you who are poor. That's why I'm commanding you to share your resources freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Interesting couple of verses. The Israelites are commanded to share what they have. Now, first thought that came into my mind is, well, God, I do that. I pay my taxes. And we have welfare, and we have all these different programs, and the government takes care of that for me. And then I thought, wow. Do I really want to show up in front of God someday saying, God, I didn't do that. I let the government do it for me. Probably not a good thought. But those verses are interesting. What do they say? It says, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. We're to be generous. We're supposed to give generously. And not hard-hearted. Not because we have to, but because we want to. It goes on, it says that there's always going to be poor people. There will always be poor among you. I struggle with that. You see, I'm a fix-it kind of guy. Give me a problem and I'm going to fix it. If something's broke, I'm going to take it apart, find out what's wrong, I'll get a new part, I'll put it back together and it's going to work. Give me a problem or an issue and I'm going to fix it. God's word says, I can't fix this. It doesn't matter how generous I am. It doesn't matter how much I give. It doesn't matter what I do. There will always be poor among us. Have you ever had a problem you can't fix? How frustrating is that? God says, you're not going to fix this. 
In the 1960s, Lyndon Johnson started a war on poverty. How's that going? The government can't fix it. We can't fix it. There are always going to be poor people. And so what do we do? We are told to give, to share. No matter where I looked, I couldn't find the answer to my question other than this general share. Nowhere does God say, Bart, here's what you need to do. Matter of fact, I'm going to read a couple other verses here. Well, let's wait. I'm going to give you. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't give us those kind of directions? Have you ever wondered why God, you know, we always talk, and again, Christians are good at talking. We talk about this as our instruction book for living. But it didn't give me an answer. If it would have just said, Bart, you need to give 1%, 5%, 40 90%, I would have an answer. It doesn't give me that answer. You see, I think that God, in his infinite wisdom in giving us his word, knew that if he did, we would draw a line in the sand and say, there, I've now crossed it, I'm good. If God says, here's the line you have to cross, I can cross that line, and I can be good. You see, it makes our faith, well, it it makes us very legalistic. It makes our religion about following a rule rather than following God. So I started wondering if maybe, maybe I wasn't getting the answer about what does God require of me because I asked the wrong question. Maybe I should rephrase my question. Instead of what does God require of me, maybe I should ask, why should I give? Maybe that will give me an answer. And so I looked at several verses, and we'll turn to a couple. Proverbs 22. Psalms and then Proverbs. Chapter 22. In verse 9. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Blessed. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't it? If I take care of the poor people, I, I'm blessed. Matter of fact, 1 Timothy. We'll go to New Testament. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their trust should be in the living God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others what God has given them. 
by doing this, they will be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future so they, make, they may take hold of real life. Wow, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to lay up treasures. And then I go back to that verse in Deuteronomy that says hard-hearted. Do you know that people can give a lot and still be hard-hearted? Do I really want to give so that I'm blessed? Is that my purpose? Is that why I do it? Do I do it so I can store up treasures? Well, it's a side benefit, but is it really what it's about? Do I do it to feel good? In Luke 17, we won't turn there, but Luke 17 is a story of Jesus and his disciples walking down the street, walking down the road, and Jesus heals ten lepers. And he tells them, go to the chief priest so that you can prove that you are clean. Now, it says that only one of them comes back to say thank you. This is a life-altering change in their life. If you were a leper in Jesus' day, you didn't live in town. You lived in a little area outside of town. You were away from your family. If you were a father, you suddenly got put out into the leper colony, and your family became beggars. How would that be? You didn't get to hug your kids goodnight. Matter of fact, they didn't get anywhere near you. They would bring food out, set it on the ground, and then leave before you could come and get it. It was a horrible, rotten, terrible existence, let alone the disease, just the existence itself was horrible. And Jesus cures ten lepers. And only one comes back to say thank you. Imagine the parties and the celebration when someone who is cured of leprosy got to walk into their own home. Imagine what that was like. And one comes back to say thank you. One out of ten. If doing what we do is done so that we can feel good, Jesus, fail. One out of ten does not make you feel very good. I'm going to tell you that my time at the Furniture Mission has proved that that one out of ten is about right. It's not about feeling good. So I wondered if maybe I should rephrase my question again. I asked, what does God require of me? And I couldn't find an answer. I couldn't find just a number that I had to do. Why do I do this? I really didn't find another good answer. So I asked the question, what is the 
what is the purpose of doing this? Why, do, why does God put such a big emphasis on giving? If you don't think he does, money is the number one talked about topic in God's word. There are literally hundreds, hundreds of verses and examples that talk about money. Why does God put such an emphasis on our giving? And I finally found an answer. Everything that we believe, everything that Christianity is, is based on giving. Let me explain it. There's a verse that every one of you knows. Matter of fact, every one of you can probably quote this verse. All I would have to do is tell you the book, the chapter, and the verse, and you could tell me what that verse says. You could recite it. We teach our children. People stand up at football games and baseball games and hold up signs that have the verse on it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe it on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Slow down with that verse a little bit. For God so loved the world, he gave. God gave. What did he give? His only son. Why is giving such a big thing to God? Because God gives. God gave. Gave an incredible gift. In Matthew 27, verse 50, the end of the crucifixion, it says, and again, depending on the version that you use, says something to the effect that Jesus sighed a loud gasp and then gave up his spirit. God gave his son, his son gave his life. Everything that we as Christians are about is because of giving. Giving greatly. In Matthew... Chapter 25, Jesus' own words, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will, will tell them, I assure you, when you did it to the, one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. At the Furniture Mission, we deal with, as I said, a lot of different individuals. And I know that some of them are milking the system. They're not a question. See, we have a rule that says you can only get help once every two years. Three times in your lifetime. We keep track of everybody. Everybody in the family. Once every two years. We actually have people who will call you and say, hey, my two years is up. We're going to come in. They know when their two years is up. A couple weeks ago, we had somebody when they left said, see you in two years. They're milking the system. And I want to tell them, no, you can't have anything. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not why we do this. We have some people who are really picky. Had a gal in the other day who wanted a leather sofa. And it had to be red. And when we told her we don't have a red sofa, red leather sofa, she didn't know if she wanted one now. We deal with some people who had just we deal with a lot of people who at 10.30 in the morning come in and they're already drunk. We deal with people who we know are wasting their money on things that they don't need. And I remind myself of those verses in Matthew. Nowhere does it say... say that because nobody else was going to visit you in prison, we visited you. It doesn't say because you deserved it. it. doesn't say anything about that you were wonderful and that you really needed it and it changed your life. It says it's what we do. We don't give to feel good about it. We don't give so that we look better. We give because God gave his son and his son gave his life to some horrible, terrible, rotten people, which means me. When God gave his son, he didn't say, now you've got to have this change your life or because you deserve it or because you really God gave his life and or God gave his son and Jesus gave his life to some people that didn't deserve it. Who weren't thankful. Sometimes I wonder if. Sometimes I wonder if I take advantage of the system called salvation and grace. Do I milk the system sometimes? Are there times that. 
times that I don't let it change me because I don't really want to. And I wonder, and I look at the people that come through the furniture mission, and I wonder, does God see me like I sometimes see them? As ungrateful? I don't know where you are in your giving. I don't think that God has said, here's the standard, be here. I think that all he says is take one step closer. One step. Whether that's with your money, whether it's with your time, whether it's with your talents, whatever it might be. Maybe it's helping your next door neighbor who's elderly mow his lawn. I don't know what it is. I think he says just take one step. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, we call ourselves disciples of Christ. In Jesus' day, disciples, there were a lot of rabbis. There was a lot of people who had disciples. And disciples actually would want to look and dress and act like their master. They would dress like their master. They would try and speak like their master. They would try and look like him. As a disciple of Christ, I think all we're asked to do is to look like him. I just take one step. And I know that God's giving towards me in his son and in Jesus Christ giving his life was for one of the least of these. Again, Father, we come to you and we praise you. We live in a time and a place you've allowed us to be born here and now. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Father, I know I work hard for my money and all those kind of things, but I didn't do anything to be deserving of being born and living in 2016 in the Midwest in this country. You have blessed me incredibly by doing that for me. And yet sometimes I am very selfish. Forgive me of that. Father, help me to truly see you in the people that I deal with. Father, help me to look more like Jesus. Just one step. We come to you and we thank you and praise you that your word does give us directions for our life. Give us the courage to follow what it says. This morning we come to you. 
and praise. We come in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Praise team.